0: Met Office scientist Scoop's Climate Award.
1: I'm interested in the tiny fluctuations in the rotation rate of the Earth.
0: Latest report on Arctic sea ice.
2: The growth of Arctic sea ice has been very slow in September and in October compared to previous years.
0: And how La Niña may affect the UK this winter.
1: My garden pond was frozen this morning, so that's an early sign. So it's very well correlated with the global UK uh, weather, I've noticed. Um.
0: <laughs> it's Friday, the 6th of November, and you're listening to Weather Snap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir, and this is Snap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. Every few years, the Edward Appleton Medal and Prize is awarded by the Institute of Physics here in the UK. The award recognises distinguished research in environmental, earth and atmospheric physics. This year, the award has been presented to Professor Adam Scaife, a senior climate scientist here at the Met Office. I spoke to Professor Scape earlier. Professor Adam Scaife, congratulations. Was it a surprise?
1: Uh, yeah, it's always a surprise to receive something like that. I'm incredibly honoured by this. It just feels great to have that acknowledgement, actually, because they only award that medal to one person each year. And it's from a very respected organisation, the Institute of Physics. So, yeah, I'm both surprised and delighted.
0: Let's just talk about what you actually do and where your specialisms are, sure. uh, because it's mostly to do with the longer term analysis of the atmosphere coupled with the ocean and patterns which connect the troposphere and the stratosphere. Am I correct in that?
1: My group focus on long-term weather forecasting, if you like, predictions from months to years ahead. I suppose what we really try to do is to fill the gap between the better known weather forecast and long-range projections of climate due to global warming. So we're kind of filling in the bit in the middle. And you mentioned the stratosphere. So it turns out that over the last maybe 20 years or so, some of the early work that I did on extending the climate models upwards to include better the stratosphere and the processes up there turn out to have uh, an unforeseen benefit because the stratosphere is important for the long-range predictions. There are um, influences that come down from the stratosphere and influence the surface climate. So that's been an important development really over the last 10, 20 years.
0: What are you studying at the moment? What's your research involved?
1: I've been looking at a few different things, all related to long-range forecasting, but actually I'm very interested in a, it might sound a bit obscure when I first say this, Claire, but I'm interested in the tiny fluctuations in the rotation rate of the Earth. If you imagine the Earth and the atmosphere in space, they conserve angular momentum because they're isolated. And so if the atmosphere spins up, the Earth must spin down and slow down. And that means the length of day gets a tiny bit longer. So this bit of physics, a really cool bit of physics, we've known about it for a long time. And actually there are radio telescope observations focused on distant radio sources that measure to exquisite precision the rotation rate of the Earth. The thing is that that automatically, as I mentioned, is linked to the wind speeds in the atmosphere. So the faster the wind is rotating around the Earth, the slower the Earth is rotating and these things are connected. So I'm looking at the way that the angular momentum of the atmosphere fluctuates and the mechanisms behind that with an eye on long-range predictability. And I think that's an interesting area that's kind of been a little bit ignored in the last few years.
0: Professor Adam Scaife, and we'll hear a little more from Adam shortly. Earlier this autumn, we discussed the extent to which Arctic sea ice had fallen. During the warmer summer months, the ice level gradually reduces, typically reaching its lowest point around September before slowly starting to increase again with the onset of winter. This year, the minimum ice level was the second lowest since records began. As we head into November, what signs of this year's recovery? Here with the details, our climate correspondent, Graham Madge.
3: Since 1979 when routine satellite monitoring of the Arctic began, climate scientists have been tracking on a daily basis the annual build-up and retreat of sea ice. Arctic sea ice extent at the September summer minimum has lost an average of 87,000 square kilometers each year. That is an area greater than the size of Scotland. Ed Blockley is the scientific manager of the Met Office's Polar Climate Programme.
2: 2020 has been a very extreme year for summer Arctic sea ice melting. We had a lot of melting in the summer. We had a lot of very warm temperatures related to the Siberian heat wave that's been reported elsewhere. And that led to Arctic sea ice melting to reach the second lowest minimum ever recorded in September 2020. And since that minimum, has been announced, the growth of Arctic sea ice has been very slow in September and in October compared to previous years. So that's meant that 2020 is now record low and has been since the middle of October.
3: While sea ice is reducing overall, that area of loss isn't uniform across the Arctic Ocean.
2: The decrease in Arctic sea ice cover that we're seeing is largely limited to the Siberian side of the Arctic. And we expect this because this area of the Arctic, the ocean is very shallow and the sea ice is heavily influenced, therefore, by the atmosphere and by rivers because the uh, ocean can take up the heat much quicker. Whereas the ice in the central Arctic is much more protected in deeper waters.
3: So what impact will this year's sea ice season have have on the future of Arctic sea ice.
2: In the Arctic, we're seeing a very long-term decline in Arctic sea ice, both in the cover of sea ice, but also of the thickness. And this means that we get very different situation from one year to the next, and we wouldn't expect next year to be a record. Um, it very much depends on the weather during next year, and it also depends on how cold this winter is, as to how much the ice will recover during the winter.
0: Here in the UK, we are almost mid-autumn, with cold air certainly starting to make its presence felt. Here with the outlook for the next few days, Alex Deacon.
4: Thanks, Claire. Yes, we've certainly had some cold mornings over the past week, the first really proper frosts across the south. But actually, it's turning quite a bit milder through the weekends. We've got... High pressure sticking around to the east of the UK and low pressure slow moving out to the west. In between, we've got southerly winds wafting up the relatively mild air, so temperatures could be really quite high over the course of the weekend. Most places will have a dry weekend as well, but... um, as is often the case at this time of year. If you've got clear skies by day, that does allow fog to thicken up. So some dense patches around on Saturday morning, and it could be quite a misty and murky old day over parts of the Midlands, southern England and south Wales. And again, the Vale of York, it's always a favoured spot for, for fog, and that could be one area that stays foggy throughout Saturday. But if you don't get the mist and the low cloud, you should have quite a bit of sunshine on Saturday across Scotland, Northern Ireland, northwest England and particularly North Wales. Now, here with the shelter from the mountains, well, we could see some remarkable temperatures. We could see those values jumping up into the high teens, possibly even the low 20s, Uh, maybe even close to the all time November record. So that's something to watch this weekend. Of course, if you're stuck with the mist and the low cloud, temperatures are not going to be anything like as high. It'll probably feel quite cool if you're stuck with a grey day over, say, parts of the Cotswolds with temperatures only 9 or 10 Celsius. So some big contrasts, but for most it is a dry day on Saturday. Sunday also looking largely dry. The influence of the low pressure just being felt a bit more on Sunday. So a few showers likely across parts of the west. But otherwise, again, most places will be dry. Again, some mist, but if you get the sunshine, temperatures will really jump up. And the morning won't be as cold on Sunday morning compared to Saturday morning. So turning milder and staying that way next week. The jet stream, well it's way up to the north of the UK so there's nothing to shift this pressure pattern. It looks like for most of next week we'll have high pressure to the east or low pressure just to the west and for many it's going to stay mild and largely dry.
0: Earlier we heard from Professor Adam Scaife talking about his recent award from the Institute of Physics. Here he is again, discussing this time the current position of La Nina and the effects it may have on weather across northwest Europe during the coming months. We are at the moment in a La Nina. Some of your work involves forecasts for winter across Europe and yep. the connection between something happening thousands of miles away in the southern hemisphere and how it impacts across Europe and the UK. Can you give us any insight to where things are going this winter? In
1: terms of the typical evolution of La Niña and what that means for our part of the world, when you look back at historical cases and actually in our computer models, you can see that it tends to create Atlantic ridging in the late autumn, early winter. um, And then For the winter as a whole, and particularly for late winter, it gives us a very strong westerly regime. These are average impacts, of course, and there's lots of other things going on. But actually, I think this year is looking like it might unfold in that canonical way. So, for example, we've been warning about increased risk of Atlantic blocking and ridging for November and December. And that seems to be on the way. Uh, my garden pond was frozen this morning. So that's an early sign. So it's very well correlated with the global UK uh, weather, I've noticed. Um, <laughs> that's great. So that, that's the. So I think, yeah, the next few weeks likely to be cold blocked, uh, increased risk of northerlies, northeasterlies, perhaps even easterlies. And then we're expecting a flip. Uh, midwinter, so that the latter winter is more likely to be much milder, stronger westerlies, but as you know that brings a big risk of heavy rainfall and flooding.
0: Professor Adam Scave, thank you very much. Thank you. Just before we go, here's Martin Bowles with last week's highs and lows. Here
4: are your weekly weather extremes from Monday the 26th of October to Sunday the 1st of November. Sunday was the warmest day with a maximum temperature of 18.4 celsius at Hawarden in North Wales. Oddly enough, Sunday was also the coldest day. Reedsdale camp in Northumbria recorded a low of minus 0.9 celsius first thing in the morning. Sunshine is in short supply at this time of year but the highest daily sunshine last week was 7.0 hours at Manston in Kent on Monday the 26th of October. Most places had another wet and windy week the highest daily rainfall recorded on our gauges in one day was at Capel Curig in North Wales, with a whopping 94mm on Sunday.
0: Thank you, Martin. That's it for WeatherSnap. I'm Claire Nazir. Producer this week is Adrian Holloway. WeatherSnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.